Well, I want to uh, say thank you to all those who have taken the time tonight to join us. Uh, we're grateful for your participation. Uh, my summary tonight will be a little bit different from the ones I've presented in the past, um, not necessarily in delivery or anything of that such, but just the, the topic. Uh, this is not one of the, the lessons that, you know, generally gets a stir to, you know, shout amen. Uh, but this is one that hopefully will compel us all, uh, especially those who are not New Testament Christians, to think about their lives. And so if tonight you are watching us and you are not a member of the Lord's church, you are not a Christian, uh, then this is for you. If in fact you are watching, you are a member of the Lord's church, and maybe you know someone, a friend, a spouse, a child, a parent, neighbor, uh, whomever, who is not a Christian, uh, hopefully the things uh, that we talk about tonight uh, will equip, encourage us to reach out to them. Uh, to let them know that they need to be thinking about eternity uh, because it's, it is it is the most serious conversation any person could ever have. Uh, and right now is the time to consider it. It is not time once uh, we have left this earth. And so I want us to think about the things we talk about tonight very seriously. And I hope that God is glorified, number one. But number two, I hope that hearts are pricked and we are compelled toward greater love for the Lord. And we are push or encourage toward action, uh, whatever that may need to be. Uh, most sermons that are preached, at least those that I preach, uh, end with an invitation where individuals are instructed uh, what to do in order to be saved. And, and we even sing songs that encourage individuals uh, to think about their lives and to think about eternity. We sing the song, Almost Persuaded. We sing, Just As I Am. We sing the song, There's a Great Day Coming. And appropriately so, we need to be thinking about the Lord and we need to be singing to encourage, uh, to admonish others to think about what they're going to do or what's going to happen with their souls. Uh, and we do that every single week here, uh, but wouldn't it be something if we could do that every single day? What if there was an invitation song every single day to encourage someone uh, to examine their lives or there was an invitation every single day or if we could mention the Lord and eternity to our friends and neighbors every single day to tell people about the way to salvation. That would be such a blessing. And hopefully you and I will take opportunities that we have. Uh, we would seek out those opportunities to tell individuals about what it takes to be saved. So tonight with our time together, I want to uh, share a lesson. I guess I would entitle it, uh, 10 Reasons Why One Should Not Obey the Gospel. You heard that correctly, 10 Reasons Why One Should Not Obey the Gospel. I, I, I would wager no doubt that all of us have heard reasons why we should obey the gospel, to, to be with the Lord and to enjoy the peace and the bliss of heaven and things of that nature. But I want to look at this from the opposite side. There are, are reasons that, you know, any, any given week that a person chooses not to obey the gospel, chooses to hear that invitation song and walk out in the same undone condition. Uh, so I wanted to look at tonight 10 reasons uh, why an individual would not uh, need to or would not obey the gospel. The first of those, reason number 10, and these are in no particular order, uh, but the first would be that if a person is a child, an, an innocent child being born uh, in this world and yet without sin, Jesus talked about the condition of these souls in the book of Matthew uh, in chapter 18. Uh, Jesus uh, here is talking with his disciples, and he says in Matthew chapter 18, beginning of verse 1, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them, and he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Here Jesus speaking to his disciples wants them to understand the importance of humility. 
And of all the people, all the individuals, all the people groups that he could use, what does he use to demonstrate a heart of purity? He uses that of a child. He says, you should become just like little children. And children don't need to be saved. They are in a safe condition because they are not yet exposed or of a responsible age where they uh, would be guilty of sin. And while some today would posit that children uh, have sin, uh, you know, ascribed to their souls uh, because of what their parents or grandparents or ancestors have done, the Bible doesn't teach us that. In fact, if we uh, look at what the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, uh, chapter 18 and verse 20, Ezekiel is very clear at the condition of the soul. Ezekiel 18, beginning of verse 20, the Bible says, the soul that sins, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. Here it is. He says, the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So there's no child that is born who bears the guilt and sin of his or her father. That is not the case. Children are born safe and they are born pure. Uh, in fact, the same uh, is the case in Deuteronomy. Moses uh, speaks of this in Deuteronomy chapter 24 and uh, verse 16 here as he is giving his closing address to the children of Israel before they go over into uh, this land of promise. Listen to what Moses says in uh, Deuteronomy 24 verse 16. The fathers shall not be put to death for the children Neither shall the children be put to death for their fathers. Every man shall be put to death for his own sin, starting with the law and uh, here in the book of Deuteronomy, going on to the prophets uh, in the uh, book of Ezekiel and even in the gospels in the uh, age of our Lord as he preached in uh, Matthew here. We see an image of children not needing uh, to have their sins washed away because they are not born with sin. And so the first place is, is if we are born uh, or children rather, uh, don't need to obey the gospel because they're in a safe condition. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God hath made man upright. We were not made in sin. And so the first case would be if you were a child, you would not need to obey the gospel, be baptized for the remission of your sin. Number nine, uh, if you do not believe with all of your heart that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the son of God, and you do not need to obey the gospel. It would not be appropriate for that person. If they do not believe that Jesus is the son of God, uh, then they do not need to obey the gospel. Listen to uh, Acts chapter 8. As the uh, Ethiopian nobleman is traveling back home from uh, his time of worship, uh, Philip comes to him and he finds the Ethiopian nobleman uh, reading from the scroll, the book of Isaiah, as we would know the prophet Isaiah. And he's curious about the things that he has read. And the Bible says uh, that Philip opened his mouth and he began to the same scripture. This is Acts chapter eight, verse 35. He began the same scripture and he preached unto him Jesus. And this man, after hearing what Philip had preached about the suffering servant in Isaiah chapter 53, he says, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So what's holding me back from being baptized? And listen to Philip's response. He says, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And so there is this conditional statement. He says, what's holding me back from being baptized? And Philip answers. He says, if you believe with all of your heart. He doesn't say, well, if you think it could be potentially true, or if you think there's a little bit of truth in here, then it's appropriate. But no, he says, if you believe with all of your heart, then thou mayest. And go ahead. You should go ahead and obey the gospel and be baptized. Uh, and Paul alluded to the same thing in Romans chapter 10. You'll remember there after Paul is trying to um, 
point out that the the Jewish nation has some uh, soul searching to do, if you will, that they need to obey the gospel. They need not to depend on their own righteousness. He says in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, to be appropriate to obey the gospel and be baptized for the remission of your sin, a person needs to believe with all their heart that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Son of God. Perhaps maybe it's the case that a person does not believe because they don't have sufficient information. If that be the case, friend, then you need to hear the gospel of Christ. You need to know that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ. He is the Son of God. Uh, he did die for your sins and mine, and he rose the third day with all power. Uh, through the power of God. I want you to hear what John says about this in John chapter 20. In fact, his writing was for this express reason. He wanted people to know that Jesus was in fact the Christ, the son of the living God, and that they through that belief might be saved. Listen to what John wrote in John chapter 20, beginning at verse 30. John writes, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. See, even John understood it's important to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Without that faith, you wouldn't be compelled to obey the gospel anyway. And so in order to uh, rightly do that, one must believe that Jesus is the Christ. And Paul, when writing to the church at Corinth, reminded them that they had done that very same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul writes, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach unto you. See, Paul knew that it was important for them to hear the gospel, yes. It was also important for them to believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is a central figure in the message of the gospel, for there is no good news without Jesus the Christ. And so if a person does not believe with all of their heart that Jesus is in fact the Son of God, then they would not be appropriate to uh, be baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins and be saved. One should not obey the gospel or would not be appropriate to do so if they are not willing to live a new life in Christ and a new life for Christ. Becoming a Christian is more than just showing up for worship periodically. Becoming a Christian is more than just saying, I am a Christian. It's more than just wearing those little bracelets that became so popular a few years back. What would Jesus do? See, becoming a Christian is about a new, converted, changed life. Listen to what the Bible says about this. Paul in Romans chapter 6 pointed out that this is not a simply momentary thing. God has saved us by his grace, and that should cause us to do something. In Romans chapter 6, Beginning at verse one, Paul points out that yes, we've been saved by grace and that grace is so wonderful. It should compel us to live a new life. We shouldn't simply say, well, I was saved this day and now I can go on doing whatever I want to do. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter six, beginning at verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, he's saying, if it is the case that you have been saved by God's grace, it should never be said that we are continuing to live in sin, the very sin that we've been delivered from. He says, it should never be the case. Don't you know or know ye not, verse three, 
that so many of us, as we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death. Listen to verse four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk, how, Paul? In newness of life. Now, that doesn't just mean that, that I'm a new person, sins are washed away, but that means my mind is now renewed. My living is now new. My attitude is now new. How is it new? Well, it's for Christ. It's in Christ. It's about Christ. Everything is about him. Everything is for him. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Colossae. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, whereas in chapter 2, he reminded them that you are buried with Christ in baptism. In chapter 3, he begins, if ye then be risen with Christ. This is to the Christians. You are buried with him, and if you are risen with him, like he mentioned in Romans chapter 6, he says, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on the things of this earth. Be thinking and be loving heavenly things. Live for Christ. Live in Christ. Have a renewed life. Listen, verse 5, he says, mortify, therefore, your members. Put to death all those things of the past. Verse 9, he says, put off the old man. Verse 10, put on the new man. See, to be a Christian, the Lord is calling upon us to live a new, a higher, an enriched, and a holy life. But friends, if you're not willing to do that, then you ought not obey the gospel. If you're not willing to be transformed, as Paul uh, mentioned in Romans chapter 12, if you're not willing to put away the old man and his deeds, if you're not willing to live to bring glory to God, letting your light so shine that men would glorify your Father in heaven, you want to live a life of sin and shame and sorrow in the end, then friends, it wouldn't be appropriate for you to obey the gospel. And number seven, you should not obey the gospel if, if you just simply do not want your sins washed away. As it's recorded in Acts chapter 22, Paul is recounting his conversion. Uh, he's recounting how that uh, Ananias came and he talked with him. And, and after Paul heard those things that he must do, according to Romans or Acts chapter 9, verse 6, Acts 22, verse 16 says, And now why tarriest thou? Now, we don't use that vernacular commonly, but we will say, what are you waiting for? Ananias said, and now why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? You see, he wants him to know that if you want your sins washed away, here is what you need to do. You need to arise and be baptized because that is the only way that one's sins can be washed away. But friends, if in the end you want to stand before the Lord, bearing the full weight and guilt of your sins, if you want to stand before Jesus through whom grace has been exposed to the entire world and you want to stand before him and say, I'm willing to stand here and hold the weight of my sin, then, then you ought not obey the gospel. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's reminding the Christians here in Corinth that they're all going to have to face judgment one day. In fact, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And I want you to notice how Paul uses these pronouns here. 
He says that for we, this is a plural, this is a group, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We're all going to stand there. But Paul, do you somehow mean that we'll go as a group? No, absolutely not, because he says that every one may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're all going to stand before the righteous judge one day. And if we are willing to stand there under the weight of our sin, and we do not desire, as we read in Acts 22, verse 16, to have our sins washed away, and friends, we ought not obey the gospel. Number six, if we are willing to ignore or neglect God's offer of grace and salvation, if we would simply say, no, thank you, then we ought not obey the gospel. I want you to listen to what the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews chapter two. This entire book was written to encourage those uh, who were facing certain persecutions uh, not to leave Christ. This book is written to encourage that yes, everything, every aspect of life and every aspect of Christianity is far better than that without. And so in, in Hebrews chapter two, beginning at verse one, the Bible says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word or if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How could a person choose to neglect such great salvation, the plan that was devised in the mind of God before the foundation of the world? Before God had ever spoken, let there be light, Jesus was a lamb slain. He had the church in mind according to Ephesians chapter 2. But if a person is willing to ignore and neglect that, if a person is willing to just completely put away with that, then that person may not be appropriate to be saved. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. He says, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God. Now, Paul here is not writing the recipe to be saved. He's writing to people who are already saved, reminding them of how they have been saved. He who says in the preceding verses, by God's mercy, by his love, by his grace, by his kindness. And here there's a summation of it in verse 8. For by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I was raised to know that if a person gives you something, you accept it and you say thank you. You know, there were times at, at uh, holidays where we would receive gifts, and my mother would always remind us, say thank you when you receive things. And friends, how would it be if God expresses his divine love to us, his, his unyielding love to us by offering us salvation? And we would say, no, thank you. I don't desire that which you're offering. Well, friends, if that be the case with you, if, if you simply would like to ignore, neglect, push back that gift of God, salvation, then, then it would not be appropriate for you to obey the gospel. You need not be baptized for the remission of your sins. Number five, you should not obey the gospel. You should not be baptized into the Lord's church for the remission of your sins. If you simply don't want to spend eternity with Jesus and the saved. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes to encourage the Christians here. 
there seemed to have been several things that were going on in Thessalonica that had in some way maybe shaken their faith. And in chapter four, Paul is writing to encourage them to know that those that have died are not somehow going to miss the resurrection. They won't uh, miss the coming of the Lord. And he says in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter four, beginning at verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and listen, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is one of the most favorite passages for me in all of the New Testament to know that there is going to come a day when Jesus himself is going to return. The one who loves me more than anyone ever could love me. The one who died for my sins in my place and with him will come all the saved from every age, from every place. We'll be with all of them, with the Lord and with every saved person forever. But friend, if you don't desire to be with everyone with all the saved, then you will not obey the gospel. If you don't desire to see the face of the one that loved you more than anyone ever could, if you don't desire to see all of those who have, who have held their faith, who have been steadfast in their love for Jesus, if you don't desire to see them, then you will not obey the gospel. Won't you listen to what Jesus said in describing this great uh, scene of judgment in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, in many places throughout the book of Matthew, described the nature of the kingdom. And here he's describing when the Lord returns, <clears throat> excuse me, and what that will be like. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, to the saved, here's what will happen. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. How wonderful will it be to hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant, verse 23. How good would it be to hear the Lord say, come, ye blessed of my father. Those that have overcome all the tribulation and trial and hardship of this world, who have kept their faith, who have finished their course, who have received the crown of righteousness. How wonderful will it be to see their faces. But if that's not what you desire to be with the Lord and to be with all the saved. And friend, you ought not obey the gospel. If you don't want to spend eternity with the Lord, if you don't want to be with all the saved, then you should not obey the gospel. Number four, if you want to be in torment forever with Satan, then you ought not obey the gospel. I want you to do Think about this one very seriously. We just talked about spending eternity with the Lord and with him there is love and there is light, there is peace, there is unity, there is fellowship. But if you want darkness, if you want torment, if you want loneliness, no peace, no end to the trouble and trials and tribulation, the unspeakable horrors of hell, if that's what you would desire, then you don't need to obey the gospel. 
want you to listen to the contrast of endings for people uh, to which Paul is referring in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul is reminding the church that there are two very distinct ends for the saved and for the unsaved. For those who had gone through various tribulation and, and the trouble, he mentions in verse 7, rest. He says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us. Who is the us, Paul? To the fellow Christians, with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. This is the same thing we read about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But what then about those who don't desire to obey the gospel? Those who don't want to be baptized into Christ and have their sins washed away. What about those? Oh, he continues in verse 8. When the Lord returns with his mighty angels, listen, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Friends, there's going to come a day when the Lord returns. And it will be far too late at that point to say, oh, let me get it right. Oh, I'm so sorry. Let me, let me run in and obey the gospel. On that day, when the Lord returns, Paul tells us that we should all be changed in an instant, the twinkling of an eye. And after death, after that, or the, after the return of our Lord, there will be judgment for all men. We just read about that uh, in Matthew chapter 25. There will be a great separation. And the friends, you desire to be separate from the Lord, then you can have that fate and just not obey the gospel. Stay as you may be presently. Jesus also described that in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 41. Listen to what the Lord says. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand. Now those on the right, remember we just read about in verse 34, Jesus will say, come ye blessed of my father and here the kingdom prepared for you. This place that Jesus prepared for you, the same one he spoke of in John 14, he's going to prepare a place for you. This is a place preserved for those that have been made in God's image. He says he's a place prepared for you, but the contrast in verse 41, then shall he say unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Think about that. There's a place that's prepared for you. That, friends, is heaven. There's been a place prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell was not made for you. You know, unfortunately, uh, television and movies uh, and pop culture have completely changed our opinion and thought process about hell. Television makes it seem like hell is just this place where, where Satan is going to be walking around with horn and hooves and pitchfork, and he's the ruler of the underworld. And, and the worst it's going to be is cold coffee and stale bagels. Friends, that's not hell. No, Satan is not the ruler of hell. Hell was created to punish him. Do you desire to be in a place like that, designed to punish Satan? Well, if it is the case that you desire to be in that place that wasn't designed for you in the first place, that wasn't prepared for you in the very first place, if you want to go there, then you ought not obey the gospel. Number three, you ought not obey the gospel. You ought not be baptized into Christ 
if you simply do not love God. Unfortunately, many might fall in that category today. There are people who simply say they don't have enough information to know about God. There are people who say that I don't believe in God. There are people who are antagonistic and say they would hate God. Friend, if you do not love God, then you should not obey the gospel. I want you to think about what John writes in 1 John chapter 5, which is a wonderful book on love. John writes in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God. This is how you show love toward God. He's going to give us an answer how we can do that. Now, Several years ago, there was a book that came out, which is a wonderful book. It's called The Five Love Languages, and it demonstrates how we show love to people in the way that they desire it. And so John is telling us this is how God desires us to demonstrate our love to him. This is the love language of God, if you will. John says, for this is the love of God. What is it, John? That we keep his commandments. That is how we show our love toward God. We don't show our love toward God by simply throwing money into the collection plate. We don't show love to God simply by giving uh, something away to our neighbor or friend. This is how we show our love toward God if we keep his commandments. And John says his commandments are not grievous. God has not commanded us to do anything that we cannot do. He's not said you need to climb Mount Everest every single year. You need to swim to the deepest depths of the sea every single year. No, he simply asks that we obey his commandments, and they, as John says, are not grievous. As we alluded earlier in Romans uh, chapter 10, Paul is writing, he wants to remind Christians of something about obeying the gospel. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe him in of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Listen to verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. You see, Isaiah knew he says, Isaiah said, Lord, who hath believed our report? Isaiah knew, Paul wrote by the inspiration of God, that there would be some who would not obey the gospel, who would not obey God, and therefore not love God. So many days, say, oh, I love the Lord. Oh, I love God. I love Jesus. And they don't obey his will. Friends, if you do not love God, then you shouldn't obey the gospel. So many people today love the things of this world more than they love God. They love maybe their families more. Maybe they love their jobs more. Maybe they love the accolades and the praise of men. Maybe they love the accumulation of worldly goods. I want you to listen to what John says back in that book of love that we talked about, 1 John. Well, in chapter 2, John writes about that. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 15, John says, Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, listen, the love of the Father is not in him. You cannot say, I love this world and the things thereof, which Peter tells us are going to be destroyed in the end anyway. 
You can't love those things and love the Lord. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Listen to verse 17. And the world passes away. It's temporary. It's going to be gone. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abides forever. There are people who put their love, their faith, their trust in these things that are temporary. Friends, we ought to put our love, trust, and faith in God. But if you are one that refuses to love God, even though, according to 1 John chapter 4, he first loved us, if you would not reciprocate that love to God, if you would not care about that love, friends, you should not obey the gospel. Some, sadly, will choose not to love him in return. You see, God doesn't force us to love him. He allows us to choose freely, for that is the nature of love. It's a free choice. But if it is the case that you would choose not to love him, then it would not be appropriate for you to obey the gospel. Number two, if you think it is good enough to simply be a, quote, good person, then you should not obey the gospel. If, if you simply want to live your life by your own ethic that I'm a good person, that's fine, that's good enough, then you can do that. You should not obey the gospel. Some people think all I need to do is be a good neighbor, good employee, a good friend, maybe a good husband or a good wife. Closer still, maybe some would think, maybe if I just go to church regularly, I attend worship services, you know, some Sundays and maybe a couple Wednesdays in there, then that should be good enough. I mean, after all, how much does God want from me? I'm a good person. I don't steal or kill. If you think that you can just be good enough, I'm a good person, so surely God wouldn't condemn me. If you just want to be satisfied with being a good person, then you should not obey the gospel. I want to remind you of something that we read about in Acts chapter 10. There was a good man. I want you to listen to something. Acts chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all of his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Now, I want you to notice how this man is described. He is, one, a devout man. Two, he feared God. Three, he feared God, not only himself, with all of his house. His influence was so great that his whole house feared God also. He gave much alms and he gave to God always. He was a generous, faithful, good man. We might look at him and say, Cornelius, what more could you ask for? You're a good man. But that wasn't good enough. Being a good person isn't good enough. In that same chapter, what do we find? That Peter came and he preached the gospel to him. Cornelius understood that he needed to do something more than be a good person. Listen in verse 33 of Acts 10. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now, therefore, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. He says, we're here to listen to everything that God has commanded us. And Peter opened his mouth and said, of a truth, I perceive that God is not a respecter of person. But in every nation, he that fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. And so he continues and he preaches to him. I wonder what happened. When he 
heard this preaching, what happened? Verse 47, any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. You see, Cornelius and his household understood that it's not good to just be good enough to say, oh, yeah, we pray and we give and we're nice people. We know who God is and, and that's fine. That's enough. No, he said, we're here to hear everything that you have to say. And when he heard what Peter told him, what did he do? Did he simply say, nope, I'm good enough as I am? No, no, he didn't. He and his family, those that had in Acts chapter 2, borrowing those words, had gladly received his preaching. Uh, they were baptized. Friends, if you think that you can just slide by with good enough, then you ought not be baptized. You know, Jesus talked about those that might think that they are good in that Sermon on the Mount. As Jesus is preaching that most masterful sermon in Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, listen to how he concludes in Matthew chapter seven. He wants to remind people that all that preaching he had done is purposeful. That's not just to walk past him after the sermon and say, good sermon preacher. See you next week, preacher. Jesus was expecting them to do something. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Who then shall enter into the kingdom of heaven? Not those that simply appeal, Lord, Lord. Who? But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Oh, there'll be some people perhaps that think that they're good enough. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, haven't we prophesied in your name and in your name cast out devils and in your name done many wonderful works? Aren't there some people who think that they're simply good enough? Then I'll profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You see, friend, as good as you or I might be, and I believe that there are some good people who are listening. It's not good enough to just be a good person. You have to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to obey the gospel and be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins so that your sins can be washed away. But if you simply want to try to slide by with good enough, if you think that just your own goodness is good enough, that you don't need the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the blood of Jesus. And friend, you ought not be saved. You ought, you ought not obey the gospel. You ought not be baptized for the remission of your sins. And lastly, number one, if you don't care about your loved ones, you should not obey the gospel. If you don't have love and compassion and in forethought about the condition of the hearts of your loved ones. I can't tell you how many funerals uh, I have preached or attended uh, in my few years of life. And every funeral, there's generally speaking, a front row where the closest family members sit. And every time that there is a front row where those family members are seated, there are hearts that are racked with grief, stress, who are racked with heartache and pain and sadness. 
There are so many who are thinking about the life that is gone, but there are more yet that are thinking about the condition of the soul. I can't tell you how wonderful it is to know that sometimes there are people who are sitting on their front row whose eyes may be damp with tears for the physical loss, but whose hearts have a measure of joy because they know that their loved one obeyed the gospel. No, it does not bring them back, but it reminds them that there's a great day coming and they will be able to see their loved one again because they have obeyed the gospel and been faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to listen to a lesson that Jesus was teaching in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is preaching here in this text about the importance of every single soul. He wanted the, 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 the individuals who were listening to him, the Pharisees and Sadducees and so on, that every single soul has value. They at times would mock the fact that Jesus was talking to or sitting with sinners. In this context, he's saying the publicans or the Pharisees rather than the scribes, they're murmuring, saying this man receives sinners and he even eats with them. He's with the tax collectors and those that are wicked. Look at what he's doing. And so Jesus goes to point out the value of every soul. And he, he preaches or teaches rather in a three-part lesson. That there is a lost sheep, there is a lost coin, and there is a lost son. And in every case where that which was lost and found, there is rejoicing. In the first two, there is rejoicing in heaven over the one that is saved. And in this third part of this parable about the lost son, after the son finally comes home, the Bible tells us here, Jesus, he's imaging God as this father. When the, when the son comes home, the father sees him from afar off. He runs to him and he embraces him. Why? Because his son was dead. I want you to listen to how this concludes in verse 32. He says, it was meet or appropriate that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother, listen, was dead and is alive. Again, and he was lost and is found. So listen, he's saying that there was a condition where he was. He was dead and he was lost. But he is now alive and he is found. There is great rejoicing. But even the rich man in Luke chapter 16, he was even concerned about his family. Listen to what happens. Jesus now in this account in Luke chapter 15, after, or 16 rather, after Jesus shows the importance of, of, of a soul coming home and being safe and saved, redeemed, if you will, from this lost condition in a faraway country. Jesus now in Luke chapter 16 reminds us that Family members are always concerned about other family members' souls. Listen, in Luke chapter 16, Jesus preaching about the rich man and Lazarus. I want you to listen to what happens. The rich man, of course, we, if you're familiar with his account, he's carried away. And he wakes up, he opens up his eyes in torment. And after having this conversation with Father Abraham, he says in verse 27, then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, thou wouldest send him, speaking of Lazarus, to my father's house. Why? Verse 28, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. You see, even this rich man was concerned about the condition of his family members. He did not want them to be lost. How many people today are praying for 
crying over, hoping that their loved ones would obey the gospel and be saved. But if you are not concerned with that, if you are not concerned that there will be family members and friends whose hearts may be broken with the fact that you are lost, if you are not moved, if your heart is not pricked with the fact that there are people right now praying for you who want to see you in heaven, if you're not concerned with seeing them, if you don't love them enough to say yes to Jesus, to hear the evidence that's presented in the scriptures, to obey it with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, that is not a concern to you. Then, friend, you ought not obey the gospel. You know, as we prepare to close here, there may be some that say, you know, th this is a negative sermon, Stephen. You know, you ought to preach something positive. You know, we, we want to hear about God's love and his mercy, his grace, his goodness, his kindness, his forgiveness, and, and, and so on and so on. And all those things are good and are great. Friend, but I want you to know something. We ought always preach the gospel. Yes, there are some wonderful things that we should preach and we should always be reminded about God's goodness and, and absolutely so. But I want you to listen as Paul is reminding uh, the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 11, verse 22, Paul writes, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God. Pay attention to God's goodness, absolutely, and amen. But pay attention to the severity and the judgment of God. There may be times that we may be able to win souls by reminding them of that which is good and great and holy. There may be other times where we may win souls to Christ by reminding them of the terror and horrors of an eternity in hell. We do not rejoice over that, absolutely not, never. We do want to be honest with people. We do want to be balanced with our presentation of truth. And friend, as we look at our lesson tonight and we contemplate those things that we've talked about tonight, there may be some who are thinking, I, I, I'm just not going to obey the gospel. Well, we go, we've gone over 10 reasons that it would be appropriate for you not to obey the gospel. If you don't care about your loved ones. Uh, if, if, in fact, uh, you think that it's okay just to be a good person, if you don't love God, if you're willing to neglect and ignore his grace, if you, want to, you don't want to spend rather eternity with Jesus, if you want to be in torment forever, if you're, you're not willing to, to live for Jesus, if you're not uh, wanting your sins to be washed away, if you, if you don't uh, believe with all of your heart rather that Jesus is the Son of God, then, friend, it's not appropriate for you to be baptized. But the most loving thing that we could do is tell people the truth, to expose them to the fact that there is a better way to live. They do need, yes, need to obey the gospel. It's not that they should just want to obey the gospel. They need to obey the gospel before it's too late. You know, Jesus talked about a man in Matthew or Mark, rather, chapter 10. And I love this account because there are several details here that I think are worth noting. In Mark chapter 10, this is an account that many would refer to as the account of the rich young ruler. Mark chapter 10, it begins in verse 17. And the Bible says here, when, and when he was gone forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now, at the beginning, this is great. This is a man who comes to the right person, Jesus. 
with the right question, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He comes at the right time while he's still alive, before death has come, before the Lord returns. This is the perfect scenario. He says, what do I need to do? And so Jesus reminds him of some of the Ten Commandments. And he, he jumps at this. He, he, he says, I've done all this from my youth. I've been doing all these things. I want you to pay close attention to what the Bible says in verse 21. Then Jesus beholding him, that word beholding, there was a, there was a deep looking. It wasn't just a, a passing glance, but Jesus fixed his eyes on this young man. And listen to what he said. The Bible says he beholding him, he loved him. There was a measure of compassion that Jesus felt toward this young man who came to the right person asking the right question at the right time. So what would the loving master, the good teacher, the good shepherd, what would he say? One thing thou lackest. Something in your life is lacking, friend. You see, Jesus could have said, man, you're doing a good job. You know, you're rich, you're young, you're a ruler over people. I mean, you, you, man, you've been keeping some of these commandments since you were a child. That, that's good enough. That would have been the perfect time for Jesus to say being good is simply good enough. But that's not what he did. The most loving thing that Jesus could have done, the lo most loving thing that you or I could ever do is if there's something lacking in a person's life with their soul on the line is to tell them the truth. And Jesus did it. He said, there's something that you're lacking. The worst thing that we could ever do is know the person needs to change his or her life. They need to repent. They need to obey the gospel. And we would simply turn a blind eye. Then we would ignore the situation. Then we would not say anything. You know, we sing a song. I used to hear it all the time as a boy. You never mention him to me. Some of you may know that song. You might even be able to hear the words in your mind. I don't know exactly what the judgment day is going to be like. We have some details, but not everything. But sometimes I wonder if we won't see or be aware of others' judgment. Imagine, if you will, that we could see those individuals that we've ignored, if we could see those people that we refuse to tell the truth to, if we refuse to say those harsh truths to, if we could see them receive their judgment, if we could hear those words, depart from me, I never knew you, and then they would turn and look at you and say, you've never told me. You were never real with me. You were never uh, straight with me. You, you didn't tell me the truth didn't tell me what I need to hear. Why would you do that? What could we say? What would you say? You see, friend, it's important to tell individuals when they need to change. We need to tell people about Jesus. We need to be diligent telling people about salvation. We need to tell people about the, the devastating effects of sin. We need to urge people to remind them that God commands all men everywhere to repent. We need to tell people in order to demonstrate true love toward the Lord, they need to obey him. For Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him.
Friend, if you're listening tonight and you have yet to obey the gospel, you need to do that. You need to hear that Jesus is the Christ. You need to believe that with all of your heart that he is the son of the living God, that he now stands at the right hand of God. You need to uh, let that belief push you toward action. It should cause you to do something. It should cause you to repent of your sins, which simply means to have a change of mind, according to Matthew 21, that results in a change of action, living for and living like and living in Christ. So the end that we can live with Christ. You need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. You see, we discussed 10 things tonight, but the opposite is also true. If you want to see your loved ones, if you do love your family and friends enough, if you do love the Lord Jesus Christ, if you do want to avoid torment, if you do want to see the Lord Jesus in peace and every faithful believer, if you do want those things, then you ought to obey the gospel tonight. Find the Lord's church in your area. Call someone, connect with Brother Jonathan or Brother Eric. Find a local congregation in your area, friend. Study with some of you simply need more information. There are people all over the world who are eager and looking for opportunities to study with people just like you. And all you simply need to do is make that request, friends, and we'd be happy to help you. I appreciate our time together tonight. Again, this is not necessarily a lesson that can, makes us jump out of our chairs and say amen. And, and that wasn't the goal, but it's one to make us think about the condition of our souls, not our neighbors, not our friends, not that guy or that lady, but me. And if I am a guilty distance away from God, I have to ask myself a question. Do I want to stay there? And if the answer is yes, then you need to do nothing. Stay right where you are. Keep doing what you're doing. But if, friend, you realize that you're a guilty distance away from God and you don't want that, if you want to be reconciled to God, redeemed by the blood of Christ, friend, won't you obey the gospel tonight? Won't you do what you know is right? Won't you do what God sent Jesus to die for so that you can be saved? Won't you do that tonight? I'm sure grateful that we had our time together, and I pray that this time has been beneficial for one. I pray it's been beneficial for one. And if you are that one, friend, won't you do what you need to do tonight to get yourself in a good condition with the Lord? I appreciate your timing and your uh, your time and your attention, and I hope that God has been glorified, and I hope that our hearts have been touched to do that which we know to do. Uh, to have our souls saved. Thank you, Brother Jonathan, for the opportunity. Well, while we're waiting on Brother Jonathan to come back, I uh, want to uh, let you know that if you may not know of a congregation in your area, you can contact us here at the Highway Church of Christ. We'll be happy to connect you with the congregation in your city, in your state, or in your country. You can get to us uh, through our website, www.highway, that's H-I-W, or H-I-G-H-W-A-Y-C-O-C.com. And we'd be very happy to try to connect you uh, with the congregation immediately in your area. If you have any questions, Maybe you want more information about some of the things that you've heard tonight. We'd be happy to answer any Bible question you have with Bible answers. If you have questions about things that we discussed tonight, maybe you don't understand them as clearly. If you would like clarification on some of the things that I talked about, uh, just let me know. I'd be very happy to uh, maybe explain them and take some time to study together with you. Again, we appreciate your time and your attention this evening. Uh, Brother Jonathan, if you're ready.
Well, it seems like we will need another moment. So why don't we do this? Um, and Brother Jonathan is going to uh, have a prayer a little bit later on. And for some of the requests, it may be in the comments. Uh, but why don't we uh, go ahead and have a word of prayer together uh, just now? Our Father in heaven, we love you so much. We're grateful that you sent Jesus to die for our sins. We're thankful for the church for which he died. We're thankful for the truth that you have revealed to us through your word. We're grateful, Lord, for all things you do for us. We pray, Lord, that our hearts and minds will be open and receptive to your word. We pray that if there be some lost soul tonight who's heard these words, they will be compelled to obey the gospel. We're thankful for Jesus. We're thankful for all that you do. We pray, Lord, that our lives <clears throat> will be a demonstration of our love and gratitude towards you. We pray forgiveness of our sins as we repent and turn away from them. Pray that you give us strength every day to that we might in the end live with Jesus. This is our prayer in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.